he's coming after you. And he is. He wants you. He longs for you. He desires you. He wants to be in an intimate relationship, a love relationship with you. He wants to give you hope. He wants to give you joy. He wants to give you peace. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know him. It's interesting. I'm, I'm reading a book. I, I'm going to talk for about 10 minutes, and then we're going to read Romans chapter 1 today. And then I'm actually going to preach a little bit. So I just want to kind of talk a little bit. We'll go for about 35 minutes, and then we'll be done, okay? Uh, I'm, inter- I'm reading an interesting book called Shifting Demographics. And that, that title seems a little boring, I know. But, but it's actually talking about how, how there's a shift per generation, per decade, and what the next 20 years in our American culture is going to look like. And what's fascinating about that is this. One of the shifts is that loneliness and depression is going to go off, off the charts. And what I find fascinating is what the world has done with Facebook and Twitter was the purpose behind that was to try to get people connected to one another, right? It's done just the opposite. It's taught one another a lot about each other, but it hasn't connected. As a matter of fact, it's done just the opposite. It's taken people further away. Isn't that cool? Because what I find fascinating about this, because I believe we're in the last days, and I believe in the last days there's going to be a great harvest. And one of the things that the shifting demographic says is that the people who can answer the call to loneliness and depression are the people that's going to mass great people together. Guess who answers that call? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. You can know a whole lot about people, but not know And so in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're called to become lovers of people. I mean, real lovers of people. Why? Because we've experienced the love of God, and we want that love to flow from us to the world around us. And that, I believe, is what the Holy Spirit is going to use to bring this great harvest into Jesus, who is doing what? He's going after them. He longs for them, and he wants them. So how are you doing with the chapter a day? You know, there's a whole lot of stuff in the Bible, some really neat stuff, isn't there? You know, and many of you I've talked to, and you're discovering things that's like, I didn't know that. Or I get this, what in the world does that mean? Great question. That's why you're part of a 222 group. (laughs) Because in that group, I mean, my group meets on... Here's a shameless plug, as Daniel says. My group meets at Panera Bread at 6.30 with five of us every Thursday morning. We'd love for you to come. But we're answering the questions that come up. And, and, and we're trying to discover together what, what in the world does that mean? What does the Holy Spirit mean by that? Now, the last six chapters of, of Acts, wasn't that incredible about Paul's life? By the way, podcast, guys, hands off. That was great stuff. Your, your pod, guys, their podcast, please listen to it. It was so insightful and so, so invigorating when I read it. As a matter of fact, I'm driving, listening to it, going, just, just, I just wanted to get, you know. So thank you very much. A great resource, very helpful. But, but as you're reading through Paul's life, these last six chapters of Acts, you look at this guy and say, wow. This tenaciousness. He didn't stop. 
He wanted everybody to know about Jesus. I'm going to whip up on you, Paul. Whip up on me. Can I tell you about Jesus where you whip up on me? Right? As a matter of fact, I'm fascinated with the last verse in Acts. It says this. Luke, the writer of Acts, says about Paul. It says, everywhere he went, he preached the kingdom of God. Now, what is the kingdom of God, by the way? The kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ, where Jesus is king, and his word is the truth, and the kingdom involves people who's trying to follow the king and obey in his word. That's the kingdom of God. Right? So he says, he says about him, he says, everywhere he goes, he's proclaiming the kingdom of God and proclaiming Jesus Christ. And I love this, with great boldness and without hindrance. Paul wasn't going to stop. Are you? He proclaimed. He wanted everybody to know about his king, the Messiah. He wanted everybody to know about the majesticness of living in the kingdom of God. He wanted everybody to know about the person when it meant to have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, right before that, Luke quotes in just three or four verses, he quotes Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8 and 9, where it says, people's hearts are closed, their eyes they can't see, and their ears are dull. And the whole point of that is, is Luke is trying to tell us, have an open heart, have eyes to see, have ears to hear, because that's, that's for those who, to be in the kingdom of God, to enjoy all that God's got for us. We have to have that kind of understanding. So, so Paul ends his journeys, and now we're getting into the book of Romans. So let me, not to be dull, but I just want to give you a little bit of background, okay? We're now going into the next 21 books of the Bible is what's called the letters. Paul writes 13 of those letters, starting with Romans, okay? And then John writes two, uh, three, Peter writes two, James writes one, and Jew writes one, and we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. But the purpose of these letters, if, if you'll step me, is they're writing letters to the house churches Throughout the known world. Now, from the beginning of Acts to the end of Acts, almost 30 years have passed. Are you with me? Because I know we read it in about 30 days. But we read 30 years of history is what we read. Right? Now, and you saw that history. And that was just the history of basically Peter and Paul. Now, all 12, or excuse me, 11 of the apostles, Matthias became number 12 after Judas killed himself after betraying Jesus. All those guys went throughout the whole world. We could write, the Holy Spirit could write books about that. And then the disciples from Pentecost went everywhere. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, says there was a great persecution. They went throughout the whole world proclaiming the gospel. So there's literally hundreds, hundreds, and thousands of house churches throughout the whole known world. The purpose of the epistles, the purpose of the letters beginning with Romans, which was actually the fifth letter, 1 Thessalonians was the, the first letter written, but beginning with, we're going to study with Romans because we're going to go in the order of, of the New Testament. These are letters that these men wrote to these house churches to do four things. You ready? Number one, just to teach them about spirituality. <laughs> just spiritual principles. Romans is going to blow us away. It's got stuff like justification, glorification, sanctification, election, the, the depravity of mankind. God's grace upon Israel. There's a lot of stuff you're going to read and say, I, 
I don't know what to think about that. And you know what? That's okay. Just keep going. We'll cover that. If not this time around, we'll cover it next year around. We'll, we'll cover it and talk about it in your 222 group. So there's a great principle. So Paul's writing to the church in Rome saying, there are some things I want you guys to know about spirituality. So that's the, that's the purpose, number one, for the letters, is to teach you about spiritual truths. And these spiritual truths will make a difference if you understand them, if you grow in them, if you put them in your heart. Your life will change. Purpose number two is to put things in order, to put structure. In Ephesians 4, you will eventually read about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Titus and Timothy talks about elders. You saw elders in Acts chapter 20. That's part of God's structure. So he's trying, trying to take all these house churches and all these cities around the world, and he's saying, hey, we got some structure that we need to understand to kind of put this thing together so this movement has some semblance of order. Not only that, but instruction about how do we assemble. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14 talks about the gifts of the Spirit, how to use those gifts in the corporate assembly. It talks about the movement and so many different ways of, of the Spirit, the way it works. And so Paul and, and James and Peter and John and Jude, they're writing these epistles to instruct us about those kind of things. So, so you're going to read a lot of stuff, you're going to say, wow, that's difficult, especially when you get to 1 Corinthians 12 about spiritual gifts. And then the Baptism for the dead? <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, we'll have Daniel preach on that Sunday. Amen. You know? <laughs> yeah, but some really cool stuff like, like that. Reason number three is he writes to bring correction. All right? Hey, you guys, when you do the Lord's Supper, he says in 1 Corinthians, you're doing some weird stuff. You're not supposed to use the wine to get drunk. Okay? Stop. Hey, guys, you're taking one another to court. Stop that. That's not what believers do to one another. Stop that. And so he's giving correction, saying, don't do that. Do this. And so you're going to see correction as you go through, through, the, through the, uh, these next 21 letters. And then the fourth thing he's done is to just bring simple edification. You'll see this in Romans 1 when we read that. He's going to say, you guys are doing a great job. I love it. I can't wait to see you so I can edify you and you can edify me and we can do this together. So he's going to bring edification. He's going to bring encouragement. So when you read these next 21 books, understand that that's what's going on. So let's talk about specifically about Romans and then we're going to pray and then I'm actually going to just read Romans chapter 1 and then I'm going to preach a little bit. I hope this is helpful to you because I think it's good for you to get the background to understand what's going to be happening for these next uh, couple months for you, okay? So, um, Romans, Paul's in Corinth, written about the winter of A.D. 57-58. He's not been to Rome yet, but he's got great burden on his heart for the, for the Christians in Rome. Okay, this is the imperial city. This is a tremendous uh, bondage. There's homosexuality. There's idol worship. There's crazy things going on in Rome. And Rome is setting the culture for the known world, all right? So these people are planted in Rome, and he knows that they're undergoing tremendous persecution. As a matter of fact, in A.D. 64, there's going to be a great persecution, and many of the Christians are going to actually be slaughtered. So in A.D. 49, Claudius, Emperor Claudius, he actually exiled all the Jews out of Rome. And so for five or six years, all the Jews had to leave, which was incredible, because what happened was the Gentile, which is you and I, the Greeks, you and I, we were the 
And when the church grew, because guess what happened? The religion of the Jews was not infiltrating the Roman church. Does that make sense? And so the Gentiles started to say, I just want Jesus. I just want to love Jesus. And so the church grew. As a matter of fact, the book of Romans is the only book you'll not find one of the writers bringing correction. Isn't that interesting? I find that very interesting. But, but, and so, so all the Jews are left, and they start sprinkling. By the time they get the letter, the Jewish people start sprinkling back. But now the Jews had to assimilate with the Gentile believers. Before, it was the Gentile believers figuring out the Jewish thing. And that's why he said, hey, you got to get circumcised. Hey, you got to keep the Sabbath. Hey, you got to do this. Hey, you got to do that. Now there's no more of that nonsense. These believers are strong and they're growing. And now when the Jewish believers came back, there was a distinct difference between a Jew, true Jew, versus a Jewish Christian. That distinction now left. It was Jew and Christian. Okay? So that's the culture that we're finding. When they get this letter, that's the culture we're experiencing and, and that the Roman Christians are in. Okay? So open your Bibles and it'll be on the overhead. I want to just read... This is so everybody can say we read our chapter for the day. I want us to just read Romans chapter 1. I want to say this. If you've not been following through Acts, if you've not been reading a chapter today, start today. Don't worry about Acts. We'll get that next year again. Just start today. Just start today reading Romans 1. All right, everybody ready? Romans chapter 1, this is the Holy Spirit writing through Paul instructions to the church of Romans, instructions to us. Now, interesting, you'll find out later in, in Romans 15, Paul didn't actually write this with his hands. He had a turban, turban, or however you pronounce it, that actually did the writing. But Paul was the one that the Holy Spirit was using to vocalize this book. Okay, so this is for us. This is the Holy Spirit writing a letter that's been around for almost 2,000 years for you and I. God wrote this. I, I, I don't know. God, this is just some book. This is a book that God, the creator of all the universe, who keeps, keeps my cells together by the power of his word, that keeps the sun where he does, and the galaxies and the earth, who keeps life going, that is the one who wrote this book. So sometimes I think I need to fall on my face and just weep and cry. It's just, this is, you know, thank you, God. That's all I can say. I, I'm, I'm just so thankful. Um, Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Thank you. He's called to be an apostle. He's set apart for the gospel of God. Now he defines that. Which he promised, God promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, amen, through whom we have received, Paul says, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. That's his instruction, wanting his goal. The Holy Spirit is using him to help you to understand faith and obedience. For the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. I, 
you know what? I'm called to belong to Jesus Christ. Wow. To all those in Rome who are loved by God. Remember we talked about John saying the disciple loved by Jesus? What's he saying now? To all those in Rome, to all those in Blanchester, to all those right here, right now, who are loved by God and called to be saved, look at this grace. Grace. God, we receive that grace. We receive it. Grace to you. Peace. God, we receive that peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now Paul is going to talk about his heart for the Roman church. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. You see that, 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 that what I talked about earlier about it, about it, he commends them. This is a tremendous church. For God, he says, is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. That without ceasing, Paul says, I mention you always in my prayers. Asking that somehow by God's will I may now, uh, know it, uh, now at last succeed in coming to you. And then he says, and I love this. For I long to see you. Isn't that cool? I long to see you, Romans, church at Rome, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but this far have, but thus far have been prevented. Because God had other purposes at that point. We do know he eventually arrived. A.D. 62, 63, he does get to Rome. In order that I may, may reap, I love this, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager, 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 he says. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, I love this, and we're going to come back, and I, I'm going to just do some dancing on this verse. I love this verse. For hi, Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous, you and I in Christ, the righteous shall live faith, not by sight, my dear friends. Verse 18. Now he's going to start talking about the culture in Rome, the culture in the world, the culture in America, the culture throughout the world. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. They don't want to know the truth. They want unrighteousness in their life. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. How did he do that? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. You you hear what he's saying? He's saying, there's a creation, so there's got to be a creator. There's a designer, there's got to be a designer. Figure it out. He said, there it is. Don't suppress it. Go seeking after it. Search after it. Creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory. Imagine this. They exchanged the glory of the mortal God for pornography, for wealth, for deception, for lying. You put in whatever your God is. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relationships for those who are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relationships with women and were consumed with passion to one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their errors. A lot of it, a lot of uh, historic, a lot of, uh, about the history of Rome says that homosexuality was truly the main, uh, the main reason why Rome fell over time. Okay? and the passivity that came with that lifestyle. In verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, I mean, God's saying, acknowledge me, I want you, here I am. Look at creation, look at the truth I put in your heart. You know, but because you did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. This is called the depravity of all of our lives, the, the sin nature, the depravity of mankind. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Now, please, as I read through this list, there's 24 sins through this whole chapter. But as I read through this, don't think about the Romans. Think about yourself. Okay? That's why God wants us to know the word. That's why he wants us to teach these truths so that we can apply it to our life and become more by his spirit, more like him. So as I read this, I'm going to read it slow. And you think about you. Okay? They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Hmm. Evil. Covetousness. Reminds me of the Ten Commandments. The, the, all other commandments except the last one were outward. But the commandment about covetousness has to do with your heart. You know, you didn't take that, but you wanted that. And that's what covetousness is. And he says they were filled with all covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips. Oh, God, may I never gossip. Help me, Lord. Slander, may I never criticize a brother. Haters of God, God, may I be a lover of you. Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Disobedient to parents. Let me just say this. Parents, please, 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 please. Be diligent about training your children to obey you quickly. Because if they're trained in obedience, then when they hear the voice of the Father through Jesus Christ, they've already been trained in how to obey. So train your children. Learn. Learn how to train your children in obedience. Because God's going to use that to enable them to hear the voice of God 
deteriorated board. And he puts that in this list of sins. They were disobedient to parents. They were foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, let me just say this, and then we'll preach on Romans 16. Is that there's four cycles of sin, and you can see them, and I want to just tell you what the cycle is. First one, you're exchanging the truth for a lie. You're exchanging God for a lie. That's the first thing. Who are you going to worship? If you, if you choose not to worship God, you're going to go down one path. If you choose to worship God, you're going to go down another path. From who you choose to worship, then you go to to either believe truth or believe a lie. If you choose to worship God, you're going to learn to believe truth. If you choose to worship something else, whether it be yourself or, or in this culture, uh, sexual immorality, whatever you choose to worship, right, you're going to go down that path. And so then you're going to believe a lie. The third thing is, is that then you're going, your desires are going to get all messed up. You know, remember the psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. But it's based upon delighting yourself in him. So when you have those desires that's based upon worshiping him and based upon the word of his truth, then you're, start having, you're going to start having healthy desires in your life. And then from there, if you have healthy desires or unhealthy desires, your actions will follow. Do you see that? And that's the progression that we see here in Romans, okay? Now, I've got 10 minutes left. I want to look at Romans 16 with you. And, and uh, I, I get so excited about this. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that all through, his, all, all through Acts. We see him not being ashamed. And there's four reasons why I believe that the American church, the American Christian is ashamed of the gospel. Number one, I believe that we struggle with being ashamed with the gospel intellectually. I mean, think about it. Here they are in Rome. He, Paul, Paul is right there. He said, hey, you know, there was this, uh, um, there was this uh, like baby born of a virgin. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And yeah, God conceived and, and, and Mary. And he was a carpenter. And, and, and this carpenter lived a sinless life. He never did anything wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, sure. Yeah, I'm following. And then he went up on a cross. And on the cross, he took your sins, all your sins, all the sins of all humanity for all time, past, present, and future, upon his body. And then, and then he died. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then he actually resurrected from the dead. Uh-huh. Oh, really? You know? and, and I think intellectually, the American people, the American church, struggles with the truth of the gospel. And I love what Bill Mayer says. Bill Mayer is an uh, uh, atheist. Um, I, 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 I don't want to slander him. So. <laughs> okay? But he says, I would believe in Christianity if it wasn't for Christians. He said, they all believe in heaven, but they never want to die. They all believe that the word of God is for them, but they don't want to follow the word of God. He said, but, so I would believe in Christianity, but when I look at the Christians in my culture... I don't see that life. Why? Because we're struggling with being ashamed intellectually of the gospel. You know, our minds, sometimes we can't wrap around the full implications of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Second reason I think we struggle in the American 
culture with the gospel and why, we sh why we're ashamed of it is philosophically. You know? See, we want to earn our way to heaven. We want to do good deeds. We want to be righteous. We want to climb a ladder. You know? I want to say, I'm good enough, God, look at me. But it says, all through the scriptures, it says, you're terrible. You're deprived. You're depraved. See, I love what Timothy Keller says. He says, you are more sinful and flawed than you can ever imagine. But you're more loved and accepted than you can ever imagine. See, so philosophical, we struggle with being righteous because of Jesus. What do I have to do? I want to earn my way. I want to get better. I want to climb the ladder. So we struggle with it philosophically. We struggle with being ashamed with the gospel socially. See, in the gospel, there is no pecking order. See, we want to say, hey, I make this kind of money. I have this big of a house. I have this kind of title. I have this many degrees. I have this. Blah, 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 blah. Ah, no, no, no. But in the gospel, he says, socially, I don't care if you're a multimillionaire, you're the brother of the homeless person who's following Jesus. Embrace each other and become one with one another. That's so we struggle with that. We struggle with connecting. I, I shared with this a couple weeks ago. We struggle with people who believe a little bit different about the gospel. I share with you about the, the Catholic priests and that kind of thing. The Catholic priests love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Let's walk together. The Episcopal, do you love Jesus? Let's walk together. The Pentecostal goes, goes at the, what we would think, kind of like, well, that's a little different, okay? I'll just leave it at that. The Pentecostal brother, do you love Jesus? You do. Let's walk together. See, and that's happening in our culture. When I was a young man, there was a big distinction between Protestant and Catholic. No longer. Those walls are broken down. So socially, the gospel, we're ashamed because the gospel, when you embrace it fully, it breaks down all walls, all races, all socioeconomic classes, all education. It breaks down everything and says one thing, do you love Jesus? If you love Jesus, I want to walk with you. And then the fourth reason I think we struggle with the gospel is morally we struggle with the gospel. Because, because the gospel, even though, and please hear this, even though you don't have to change at all to surrender to Jesus, but when the Holy Spirit comes inside you, you will look completely different after salvation as opposed to before salvation. And so we look at the morality of the gospel and say, I'm not sure I can do that. You can't do it. You cannot do it. That's why you have the Holy Spirit inside of you helping you to do that. Your paraclete, your counselor, the one coming alongside to help you. So we struggle with the gospel morally. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I want to encourage all of you, do not, thank you, Lord, you know, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? The gospel is the message. It's the message of good news. Look at this in John 3.16. And I love it. This is from Tony Evans. It impacted my life years ago. This is the gospel. Are you ready? For God so loved. That's the greatest degree. You can't get any more love than God's love. 
See, it's not God's love plus. He doesn't love us, doesn't love you more. It's 100% pure, wonderful love for God loved you. That's the greatest degree. The world, that's the greatest company. That's you and I. He loves you and I. That he gave. That's the greatest act. His only begotten son. That's the greatest gift. This is the gospel. That whoever... That's the greatest opportunity. Believes. Believes in your heart. That's the greatest simplicity. In Him, in our Lord, our Messiah, our Yeshua. In Him, that's the greatest attraction. Now look at this. Shall not perish the gospel. That's the greatest promise. Can I have an amen on that? Isn't that exciting? But that's the greatest difference. We have. This is the greatest certainty. It's not past tense. It's have. It's now. You have that if you believe in the gospel. Have eternal life. That's the greatest possession. Paul said, I'm not ashamed because of that. Paul knew that. He knew it inside and out. It was his heart. It was his driving force. It was his passion. That's what he wanted to proclaim to everyone. He wanted to proclaim to everyone, for God so loved you, Dennis, the world, that he gave his only son. That Dennis, if you believe in him, you'll never perish, Dennis, but you will have eternal life. Man. That's the gospel. And that's why Paul says, Paul said, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed of that. I want to proclaim it with all boldness. I want to live my whole life proclaiming that truth to all people, for it is the power of God. Pray, worship team, you can come on up. I'm going to wind down here. I could go on and on, but, but I... It is the power of God. I'm fascinated by this. The sun is about 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit temperature. God doesn't call that his power. Tsunamis can make 100-foot waves going 90 miles an hour, devastating everything in its wake. God doesn't call that his power. <laughs> nuclear fission can create nuclear missiles and bombs that can destroy cities. God doesn't call that his power. Volcanoes can spit lava 17, 18 miles up in the air and, 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 and black out cities and devastate cities. God doesn't call that his power. You know what he calls his power? The gospel. He says the gospel is my power. Well, why? Because the gospel is what has the ability to take you from being an old man to a new man. The gospel has the ability to take you from being a child of wrath to a child of righteousness. The gospel makes you a, a child of the devil to a child of God. The gospel takes you from an evil spirit to put the Holy Spirit in it. The gospel takes you from a destiny of death and destruction, eternal lostness from God in a place called hell, to eternal salvation in heaven. That's the power of God. You think God, he spins the galaxies. There's black holes out there spawning of galaxies. That's not his power. The power is the gospel because the gospel has the ability to change lives. Now, how do we become a part of that gospel? How do we become a part of that? He says, the righteous shall live by faith. The way you and I become a part of that is you and I 
we see it, we, we, we gain a revelation because someone shared with us, taught us, and we submit our lives to it. I want you to hear this. Please hear this. There's a difference between profession of faith and possession of faith. Okay? There's a lot of people who said a prayer at an emotional time, but they didn't give their heart to Jesus Christ. See, possession of faith, when you, John chapter 1, verse 11 says, for all those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. I received him with my lovely wife. I received her in my, she became my wife. I received that. See, when I possess faith, it's because, and the way you know you possess faith, you want to follow Jesus. That's it. If you find somebody, say they're a Christian, but they don't want to follow Jesus, they set a profession and nothing happened. Nothing happened. But if you want to follow Jesus, you now possess faith. And that, my friends, is the greatest power in this world. When you open up your heart to say, Lord Jesus Christ, I want you in my life. I'm stepping in it. And now, hear this. When that happens, this is the power of God. You become a new creation. You're now an overcomer. You now have the triune being of God living inside of you. You now have an eternal future. You now have the Spirit's power work in you. You now have the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, long-suffering. You now have all those things working inside of you. That's the power of God. You, my friends, you, my friends, are God's. Think about this. God's son and daughter. Would you stand up and join hands with the person next to you, please? God, we do not want to be ashamed. We don't want to be ashamed, God. We don't want to be people who just speak something. We want to possess you. God, we don't just say a little prayer. We open up our hearts and we receive you in all of your fullness. God, we want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we want to bring honor to your name. We want people to see Christ in us, Father. We want people to know that we are filled with your love. We want to reach out to our or the people we work with, our next-door neighbors, let them know that we love them, God, and we care about their life and their destiny and their purposes. God, we ask you to enable us by your Spirit to never, never be ashamed of the gospel. So like Paul in Acts 28 when he said, I proclaim the kingdom of God and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with all fullness and without hindrance. God, do that in our midst. Do that in our midst. And Father, I pray that Elevation Church would be a church that proclaims the truth of the gospel. Father, I pray that everybody will jump on board and read your word. God, we need to know your word with this great harvest that's coming. God, we need to have saints, sons and daughters who know your truth, who know your word, and who can proclaim your word to the people around us. Oh, God. Fill us now, God. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit.